Well, I'm going to, this is going to be a bit different this morning in that it's a lot of scripture, and it's actually literally a more of a Bible study. Uh, I'm calling it still part of the Love Walk. Love Walk number 17 is what it'll be. But I want to tell you, <clears throat> like I said, I'm just going to talk to you about it. Like I said, we've got a lot of scripture to read. Uh, I was in my reading, I got to the pastoral epistles again. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got, it came to, you know, first, second Timothy, Titus, and so on. And for some reason, I just kept really being, well, I just found myself being so aware of how often Paul speaks to this issue about this warning, very strong warning, about staying away from purposeless talk and just all kinds of controversy that might lead to strife and ill will or what have you. And it just hit me as I read these passages. Over and over again, he says this. Now, I want you to consider that. Over and over again, he goes here. And in one place he speaks, he says, most strongly insist on this teaching, this aspect of it. So it's got to be very important to God and to the Spirit of God. And it's, it needs to speak to us as far as our own love walk of how much we need to watch over where conversations are going with whomsoever we're having conversations with. That we need to really be aware. And again, to me, it just speaks so graphically of how important it is that we really do set a watch on our mouth, set a guard on our mouth, that we sin not against him with our lips. But anyhow, <clears throat> like I said, I just, a lot of reading, but I pray you'll stick with me. In Jesus' name, Father, please help us to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Help us to find any areas that we need to be very watchful in our, over our own spirit, that it may not be contaminated or corrupted or led astray. I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus for all of our listeners. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 8. Now, like I said, before I get to these actual areas where he speaks to this pertinently, you know, particularly, uh, I need to put it in context. So I'm reading some scripture that you may wonder why, but anyhow, let's just read. 2 Timothy 8 to 17. Now remember again, these are pastoral epistles, so that means... Paul is speaking, indeed, to Timothy, his spiritual son in the Lord, who, again, is called to a very strong position of ministry. And Paul really senses the importance of this. This is his disciple. This is, again, his spiritual son. He wants him to really stay clear of pitfalls and things that could cause problems in his ministry. So even though you may not be called as a word to a pulpit ministry, we all know that we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to Jesus Christ is what it's all about. <clears throat> so with that in mind, and yeah, let me read. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Constantly keep in mind Jesus Christ the Messiah has risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Constantly keep in mind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's something we all have to work on. Constantly keep in mind, Jesus Christ the Messiah has risen from the dead, as the prophesied king descended from David, according to the good news, the gospel that I preach. For that gospel I am suffering affliction and even wearing chains like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained or imprisoned. Hallelujah. Therefore, I am ready to persevere and stand my ground with patience and endure everything for the sake of the elect, God's chosen 
so that they too may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with the reward of eternal glory. The saying is sure and worthy of, excuse me, the saying is sure and worthy of confidence. Sorry, I moved some paper here. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny and disown and reject him, he would also deny and disown and reject us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, do not believe and are untrue to him, he remains true and faithful to his word and his righteous character, for he cannot deny himself. Now here's where he said, verse 14, remind the people of these facts. So he just speaks about all this truth here, about the strength of God, what it means to you know hold fast to the resurrection of Christ, what it means to really understand that God is faithful to his word. And then right on the heels of this, he said, remind the people of these facts and solemnly charge them. And he doesn't just say charge them to avoid. He says charge them in the presence of the Lord to avoid petty controversy over words, which does no good but upsets and undermines the faith of the hearers. Then he goes to this very familiar verse in between study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved and tested by trial, a workman that has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. But avoid all empty, vain, useless, idle talk. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And like I said, this is why, <clears throat> to me, this is absolutely is or part of what it means to discipline yourself to walk in the love of God. The things that he warns us against. But it just really hit me, and I hope it strikes you too, as we go through these over and over again. I mean, he just keeps repeating himself about this. But avoid all empty, vain, useless, idle talk for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their teaching will devour. It will eat its way like a cancer, or spread like gangrene. Then he gives an example, so it is with Hymenaeus and Philetus, these two guys that came against his ministry. So again, I've got to be, you know, we of course we need to be conversant with one another. We need to have a the joy and the privilege of talking to each other and considering things and even, you know, wanting to learn about this, that, and the other. But I think the point that's so important is we all know when a conversation begins to go downhill. In other words, where, again, a bit of mm, ill will begins to enter, and you can sense this is getting a bit rugged, this is getting a bit coarse or whatever, uh, you know, fragile. There's something you know, someone's maybe so insistent on what they're saying that pleasant conversation is coming to an end and a bit of indignation is rising up. And this is what he's talking about. He said, especially if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, he said, be aware of this. And now again, I'm going to keep repeating myself. He says this over and over again. Now jump down to the same chapter, 2 Timothy 2, but verses, <clears throat> excuse me, 22 through 26. Shun youthful lusts and flee from them. Aim at and pursue righteousness, all that is virtuous and good, right living, conformity to the will of God in thought, word, and deed. And aim at and pursue faith and love and peace. Aim and pursue faith, love, and peace. 
That's what we aim at. We're to aim at, pursue faith, love, and peace, harmony and concord with others in fellowship with all Christians who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. But there he goes again. But refuse. Shut your mind against. This, these are strong words. But refuse. Shut your mind against. Have nothing to do with trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies over ignorant questionings. For you know that they foster strife and breed quarrels, and the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kindly to everyone, mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace, preserving the bond to peace. You see, that's part of our assignment, every single one of us. We are called by Almighty God to preserve the bond of peace between our brothers and our sisters. And we are to recognize immediately when something is coming to destroy or harm that peace. And this is what he's getting at here, the part of it. He must correct his opponents. Well, excuse me, he must be a skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing, and willing to suffer wrong. He must correct his opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, that they will perceive and recognize and become accurately acquainted, accurately acquainted with and acknowledge it, and that they may come to their senses and escape out of the snare of the devil, escape out of the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him, henceforth to do his will. King James says, The servant of the Lord must be patient, apt to teach, instructing those who oppose themselves. How many of you have met people that their own, they are their own worst enemy? Instructing those who oppose themselves that peradventure they will acknowledge the truth that you're offering them so that they can recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. The devil has snares, right? So this is incredibly important. And in the midst of all this, like he says, courtesy and gentleness, but he said, you have to shut your mind. Think about that. See that thought. Shut. Shut your mind against. So I just I, shut your mind against have nothing to do with trifling, ill-informed, unedifying, stupid controversies over ignorant questionings. Hallelujah. Now I've jumped down to chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And he says, but understand this, and this is, you know, just incredibly powerful that we all need to comprehend. In the last days will come and set in perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, hard to bear, for people will be lovers of self. You see, this is something we have to be aware of. We're surrounded by people who, again, have no comprehension of what Jesus Christ has actually done for them, for us. They have no focus on the things of heaven whatsoever, and that's why we have to be so patient with them. But he says, be aware. He said, they're going to be lovers. I mean, it's just important that we really understand this because it helps us not be so shocked about what's around us, and it helps us, therefore, if you're not so shocked, you're better able to find a doorway to speak and minister the life of Christ to them. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered. A phrase. Utterly self-centered. Have you ever met anybody that's 
absolutely, they're just, it's all about me. It's all about them. Well, sadly, I have. For people will be lovers of self, utterly self-centered, lovers of money, and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. Proud and arrogant, contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting to no truce or appeasement. They will be slanders, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce haters of good. <clears throat> I always remember when the first time I went to Romania, <clears throat> just after the execution of Ceausescu, and we were taken in Timisoara to these to this cemetery where all of these soldiers had taken these pregnant women and bore holes in their stomach, poured oil and wax in, and lit it on fire, torching them, torturing them and their unborn babies, trying to get information about people who were anti-Ceausescu. But the thing is, as I sit there, and I still had these two stainless steel like surgical tables there, this is in a graveyard, a little tiny little shack thing. And outside there was all this stuff on the ground, the wax and blood. And I just thought about, you know, totally like it says, like it says here, absolutely relentless, callous and human without natural human affection. I couldn't believe that guys, no matter who ordered them, could sit here and take six and seven women at a time, forgive me, I know this is horrible, but to bore, somehow cut holes in their stomach and pour wax in and set it on fire, then trying to get, you know, trying to get information, I just, my mind could not compute that people could be that horrific. You know, similar to, of course, Holocaust times and World War II. How, how can humanity do that to one another? But they do. He said, goes on in, chapter, in verse 4, he said, They will be treacherous, betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers. And here's where we have to really look at ourselves in the day and age that we live in. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements. I laugh when I turn on the television and I see all these, I don't know if you've sadly ever flicked on the the real lives of, uh, what is it, Beverly Hills Housewives or Atlanta Housewives. I mean, you know, I had it on for like a minute or two. I could, I could not believe reality television that they would have this junk on there about these very wealthy women and all the gossip and trips. It's just, I can't believe how anybody could watch this. But he said they will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements. Vain amusements. What's a vain amusement? Something that's empty amuses you for a while, but it steals your time and it steals your life. They deny, excuse me, they're lovers of vain amusement more than or rather than lovers of God. For although, and this is the strange, they hold, he's speaking of people that are basically in the church. He says, although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are a stranger to the power of it. In other words, it says their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession, avoid all such people, turn away from them. You know, in teaching the love walk and teaching love, I always talk about how, you know, Jesus never rejected the sinner. He rejected the sin and how acceptance was with the hallmark of his ministry. 
and I always teach and will continue to teach that we are to accept people, uh, not judge them just because of their sin and their fraction, but accept them and work with them. But yet there comes a space when you find people like this, actually in the church, who absolute, their conduct belies the, in other words, they show themselves to be anything but a Christian. Paul's admonition is very clear. He says, avoid all such people, turn away from them. So part of walking in the love of God is walking in the wisdom of God. You do not put yourself in an atmosphere that's poisonous to your spirit. Hear me? This is why, like I said, the love of God is very strong in situations. Anyhow, now I want to jump to Titus, the very next book, chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. And again, I hope, I, hope you're, I hope you catch what I'm trying to get at. All I know is the Spirit of God really, really honed in on this about be careful of the conversations you have with people. Be watchful on your own mouth. Be very watchful about where they are leading. And what they may leading might be leading to, like Paul said, all manner they lead to all manner of ungodliness. Titus chapter one verses six through thirteen. For this reason, Paul says to Titus, I left you behind in Crete, that you might set right what was defective and finish what was left undone, and that you might appoint elders and set them over the churches in every city as I directed you. These elders should be men who are of unquestionable integrity and are irreproachable, the husband of but one wife, whose children are well-trained and are believers, not open to the accusation of being loose in morals and conduct or unruly and disorderly. For the bishop and overseer, as God's steward, must be blameless, not self-willed or arrogant or presumptuous. Here's another thing right now. He must not be quick-tempered or given to drink or pugnacious, being brawling or violent. In other words, you've got to have a right spirit. You cannot have that angry spirit and really serve the Lord with any grace. He must not be grasping and greedy <clears throat> for filthy lucre, financial gain, but he must be hospitable, loving, and a friend to believers, especially to strangers and foreigners. He must be a lover of goodness. I just always enjoyed that phrase. Do you love goodness? To be in ministry, you have to be a lover of goodness. To be a lover of goodness means you, mean you need to be a hater of evil. You need to hate that stuff, which takes and causes distance between you and the presence of God. He must be a lover of goodness, of good people and good things, sober-minded, sensible, discreet, upright, fair-minded, a devout man, and religiously, religiously correct temperate and keeping himself in hand. He must hold fast to the sure and trustworthy word of God as he was taught it, so that he may be able both to give stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound, wholesome doctrine, and have the ability to refute and convict those who contradict and oppose it, showing the wayward the error. For there are many disorderly and unruly men around us who are idle, vain, empty, they're misleading talkers, and they're self-deceivers and deceivers of others. This is true, especially of those of the circumcision party who have come over, who have come over from Judaism. He says their mouths must be stopped. Now think about the strength of what he's saying here. He's talking. Paul is a, is a you know he's the one that taught all this stuff about the love everywhere in all these epistles, and yet he says here's at the time he says their mouths must be stopped. 
there's some people whose mouths need to be stopped. He says, for they are mentally distressing. They are mentally distressing and subverting whole families by teaching what they ought not to teach for the purpose of getting base advantage and disreputable gain. He said, and then he gives this example. And again, I want you to see the strength of this. One of their very number, a prophet of their own, somebody that they hold in high esteem, said, Cretans, people of Crete, are always liars, hurtful beasts, idle and lazy gluttons. That's what this prophet said about the people of Crete. And Paul says, this account of them is really true. And he said, because they've actually said this, he said, rebuke them sharply, deal sternly, even severely with them, so that they may be sound in the faith and free from error. Now, like I said, see, what's that got to do with the love walk? Well, it does everything. He said, you can see people who may have these fractures, but he said, you don't sit, you do not decree and prophesy that they're this ugly, ugly people that are horrible in every way and what have you. He said that, can you see Paul shocked that this person would say this? He said they're actually saying that Cretan, this guy's actually said Cretans are always liars, hurtful beasts, idle, and lazy gluttons. He said it's actually true that they said this. And because it's true, he said, rebuke them sharply. Deal sternly, even severely with them, so that they may be sound in the faith. Now think about that again. My gosh, I mean, you see, it's just a part of the, there's a very strong side of the love walk where we help people stay in line. And God knows we all need somebody to help us all stay in line because for some reason our humanity wants to get out of line at times. So again, we just have to, you know, weigh all these things. But like I said, what keeps getting me is why Paul keeps referring to this so strongly, this area. Now, let's jump to the last passage I'm going to read is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Remind people to be submissive to their magistrates and authorities. That's why we're getting the shots. We live here in the Lambeth area, and it says, not the shot. Well, yeah, the shots too, but everybody has to retake this COVID thing. I thought to myself, I'm not going to do that. What the heck? And then the Lord brings us up. He said, remind people to be submissive to their magistrates and authorities. So Julie and I are retaking the test. We can do that at home. But anyhow, I'm just saying. To be obedient, to be prepared, remind people to be obedient, remind people to be obedient, to be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work, to slander or abuse or speak evil of no one, to avoid being contentious. And there's some people just love to argue. I mean, they just flat out aren't happy unless they get to instigate an argument and debate and what have you like that. And that's such a waste of time and energy. It's crazy. But some people have a morbid fondness for things that cause anxiety or can't, you know, it's just to me, it's crazy. To slander or abuse or speak evil of no one, to avoid being contentious, to be forbearing. We are to be forbearing, yielding, gentle and conciliatory. Listen to this phrase. And to show un qualified courtesy toward everybody to show unqualified. In other words, nothing that they may do may qualify them for this, but that's not the issue. We follow Jesus Christ. We follow the lamb, the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world, the lamb of God, the lamb of love. Hallelujah. We are to show unqualified courtesy toward everybody. And I don't know if you realize this, but everybody means that person. You know that person, right? The person that you really don't 
care to be courteous toward and considered. He says in verse 3, <clears throat> For we also were once thoughtless, senseless, obstinate, and disobedient. We were deluded and misled. We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures. We wasted our days in malice and jealousy, envy. We did. Hateful, hated, detestable, and we hated one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior to man as man appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his own pity and mercy. By the cleansing bath of the new birth, the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on uh, so richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he did this in order that we might be justified by his grace, by his favor that's wholly undeserved, that we might be acknowledged and accounted as conformed to the divine will and purpose, thought, and action. That's incredible. Again, you know, no matter how many times we speak of God's grace, to think that you know, there's just absolutely nothing that we can do that could ever have qualified us. And God in His grace, this incredible love that we're to imitate, again, Ephesians 5, 1, be you therefore imitators of God and walk in love, that we might be acknowledged and counted as conformed. We, we have been acknowledged as already conformed to the divine will and purpose and thought and action because of grace. I mean, God, how many times you heard it? Don't let it, don't let it bore you. We're right with God. Everything's, we've made it because of faith in Jesus Christ, not because of works. Amazing. He said, and that we might become heirs of eternal life according to our hope. This message is most trustworthy and concerning these things, I want you to insist steadfastly so that those who have believed and relied on God may be careful to apply themselves to honorable occupations and to doing good. For such things are not only excellent and right in themselves, but they are good and profitable for the people. But again, insist steadfastly about this, but avoid stupid and foolish controversies genealogies and dissensions and wrangling about the law and other things for they are unprofitable and futile and then he goes i mean just again i just like i said all through these passages over and over and over again paul keeps warning and saying watch out for this now he wouldn't keep doing that if he didn't know that there were traps hidden places pitfalls in those areas and he's warning timothy his spiritual son another ministry says really really over and over again and to titus he's saying watch out for this this is be very careful about the conversations you enter into with people be be acutely aware have your antenna up high about things that may lead into discussion that is basically going to turn towards something that is definitely not godly say the least but here's how we finish and how we're going to finish. He says, as for a man who is factious, a heretical sectarian, a cause of division. People, some, there are always people in churches. There's always one or two 
I don't know. If some some just know it for sure. They're there on purpose to cause problems. But some don't realize that what they think is their personality is really a spirit that's causing dissension. It's always causing division. It's always questioning things rather than trying to energize people towards faith in God. So he said, as for the man who is factious, a heretical sectarian, a cause of division, after admonishing him a first and a second time, reject him from your fellowship, excommunicate, reject him from your fellowship and have nothing more to do with him. Now, this is the man walking in love. See, there's a strong side to love, like I keep saying. I have had to do this one time in my ministry many years ago with somebody that constantly caused problems, constantly uh, just pulled people apart, got them in on purpose, got in them in the conversations where he got them to doubt this, that the pastor was saying, I wasn't the pastor at this time at this place, and doubt this and doubt that and doubt this. Until one day, then after I became the pastor, and it wasn't this church, it wasn't CCF, but after I became the pastor, it got to the point where I had to do something that I never thought I'd ever do. And in the, in the, in the, in the Bible, there's a place where, where the Word of God says that you are to mark the person publicly that is causing division. Now, like I said, I had, like I said here, I admonished him. I spoke to him privately over and I said, please don't do this. You're causing more problems. You're not helping people. And I worked with him. Actually, I worked with him too long. He just kept being a problem. He just kept dividing, kept literally just kind of enjoyed it. He'd smirk when I talked to him. So one Sunday I got up and I saw him out there and he was trying to act, acting kind of clever and doing all this. And you know, and people came to me who were, you know, lovers of God and said, you know, this guy is still doing this. So I marked him. I said, stand up. I had him stand up. I called him by name and I said, I've spoken to you once. I've spoken to you twice. I've spoken to you three times, four times, five times. You will not listen. I said, so from this moment, I tell you, you are banished from this church. Leave now. And I had some of my usher friends right there and they marched to him. He started, I said, no, no. I said, you had your chance. I said, I hate doing this, but I said, you are out of this church. You go find somebody else. You go find a place where it fits your perfect needs, but you're no longer welcome here. You know, that was not an easy thing for me to do, to say the least. And I, I've always, I'm, everybody's always said there's no me that I'm very mercy motivated. I, I bear too long with some people. I don't know. Like I've said, I've always, because of the love of God, thought if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of mercy and God's grace. I'm going to try to at least. That it's, I'm far from perfect, but you know what I mean. But that hurt me deeply to be able to do that. Yet, when I did it, there was a righteous, a righteous indignation on me that I will never forget. A righteous anointing. There was something there that I knew was God's approval. And I almost, it was like I almost heard him say, it's about time you get rid of this guy. You know, I'd been praying for him either to leave or whatever, but I had no idea that a time would come when I'd have to publicly renounce somebody and tell the whole church this man is absolutely a problem to any church and he is no longer welcome here. But you know what? The people wound up, they were so supportive, they actually wound up respecting me far, far more because of this situation. And he did leave and he went from worse to worse. 
So anyhow, as for a man who is factious, heretical, sectarian, cause of divisions after admonishing him a first and second time, reject him from your fellowship, have nothing more to do with him. Well aware that such a person has utterly changed, is perverted and corrupted. He goes on sinning, though he is convicted of guilt and self-condemned. Man, that's crazy, isn't it? Well, so what I wanted you to get this morning, and again, like I said, I know it's a whole lot of scripture, a whole lot of stuff. But my gosh, Paul goes over and over again. So my message is this, to walk in the love of God, you have to walk very circumspectly when it comes to the wonderful fellowship that we have with one another, even though through this pandemic we haven't been together a lot. But when you have conversations with people, whether it's at work or whatever, just to have your antenna up high, I will not enter into something that's foolish or something that begins to go downhill. I'm, when I sense that, I'm gonna extricate myself from the conversation. I'm not gonna expose my spirit to bad spirit stuff. Amen? Amen. Well, this is part of walking in the love of God. This is part of the strength of God, having control over your own spirit and having, as it were, authority over your own life when you're around others. So I pray that you receive from it this morning. Father, in the holy name of Jesus, I bless our people. I bless those who may have watched this. And I thank you that they will hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In the mighty name of Jesus, I give you praise for them. Amen and amen. God bless you. See you soon.